You are listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois, a church committed to Christ and His Word. We exist to glorify God through unity, love, and maturity. Please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Before we begin, a brief prayer. Father, do not be silent. Come forth today as a roaring lion. Let my message today edify your church. Let the words that I speak be what you desire to be known. If it is not of you, remove it from me. Lord, speak to us that we may understand. By your Holy Spirit, convict us to wrestle with where we are before you. For Jesus' sake, amen. This morning we're continuing our study in Ecclesiastes, and we're in the opening section of chapter 5, and I invite you to follow along as I read. We will begin with verse 1 and end in verse 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Now, if any of you have read ahead in preparation for today, you may have noticed that chapter 5 is about worship. In fact, it covers more than just worship in the sense that we commonly think of, such as gathering on Sunday. It covers who we worship, what we worship, and how we worship. And what kept coming to my mind as I was studying was the how. Essentially, how often do we value tradition over true worship? If we are truly honest, we put tradition over much of what we value in life even beyond worship. How many of you have ever heard something said along the lines of, well, we've just always done it this way, or, well, that's just how we do it, no point in changing. Have you ever heard or said any of those things? This has an effect on more than just our spiritual lives. It can affect our daily life as well. And that brings us to today's main point, that tradition over truth is not worship. As we unpack this, we look to Ecclesiastes to offer some guidance of what this means. The preacher tells us in verse 1, he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And now, contextually speaking, this is talking about the temple of Solomon. That's the house of God. The church today is not the house of God. It's the house of worship. This is where we often gather to worship, but it's not the only place. And so contextually, the author of Ecclesiastes is mentioning the temple of Solomon. He's saying it's better to just go there and listen 
than to go and offer a sacrifice that is empty and has no value to God. You see, a a sacrifice is something that you give up freely. It's a possession that you value. And we value possessions, don't we? Think about when we tithe. When we tithe, we're offering a sacrifice of our possession of money. But it's not an obligatory act of compulsion. If it is, it's not true worship. Let me say that again, but a little bit differently. Tithing or any sacrifice to God that is done out of obligation or compulsion is not true worship. It is a blood offering and is a sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, we, what's interesting is how much verse 1 is woven throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospels. And since the preacher of Ecclesiastes is very likely Solomon, it's no coincidence that we see a proverb coming up. But even more than that, there's a hint of Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 inside of verse 1. It's Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so... When we look at at verse 1, it says, guard your steps. The proverb says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your path. The first verse says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. First verse says, for they do not know they are doing evil. The proverb says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, there's a deeper connection here. And all these things are completely thrown out the window when we put tradition over anything else. Especially true worship of God. Now, verse 2, the preacher turns to prayer. Because prayer is an essential element of worship. When we look in the New Testament, the framework for a worship service is reading the scripture, praying, and singing. And so the the writer turns to prayer and he says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. There's no better way to explain this than Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 5, verse through 14. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, Jesus is saying that empty prayers don't have any value. Dwight Moody once said, saying prayers is one thing and praying is another. The point Jesus was making here is not to give us another prayer to pray. Yes, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer and you can use it to pray, but it's the framework for a prayer. And when we look at Matthew 6, it's so incredible. We look at that verse and it's, we look, he starts it with our Father in heaven. He's addressing God. Then he says, hallowed be your name. But what comes next is the most important aspect of this prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his aim is aligning our will and God's will. And when we align our will with God's will, we find joy. We find satisfaction. We find peace. We find indescribable pleasure. But if we do what we were just told not to do and heap up these empty prayers to God, who do we think we are? Are we someone special because we can pray lengthy prayers or ask God for riches or power or anything else? We're not. The author of Ecclesiastes says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let me translate that for you. You are nothing compared to God. Nothing. You're a small blip. God is powerful, he's almighty, he's majestic, he's full of glory. He is the king of the universe, the most high. Then there's us. God made us out of dirt, we're dirt. But we're the object of his love. And we're going to attempt to throw empty words to him in worship. Now in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, we see a proverb. He says, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And I'll admit, when I first read this, as I was preparing for this, I went, huh? What in the world does this mean? This proverb relates directly to prayer. A dream has a lot of business. There's a lot of things that go into our dreams. And as we're doing things, as the author of Ecclesiastes has pointed out over the last few weeks that we've studied, there's a lot of busyness for man. We're always busy with something. We're striving. We're chasing after things. We're toiling. And so we get tired and we sleep. And when we sleep, we dream. And we dream a lot when we're really tired. And it's pointless. Dreams don't do anything for us. There's no value in it. It's the same thing with long, empty prayers. But I'd like to follow that up with, there's nothing wrong with long prayers. It's only bad when we're just saying words. If we're pouring our heart out to the Lord, that's a good thing. You see, we we often think we can manipulate God with our prayers. Newsflash, we can't. Yes, you should pray for things, but you should pray for things in accordance with God's will. Think about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane before he was arrested. Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, it says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's 
Raise your hands. If you could pray and know that you would not die, would you ask God for it? Let's, let's hold on. Let me rephrase that. If, if you would not die and you didn't know anything about going to heaven, would you ask God not to die? Everybody would. Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer. He was getting ready to go through the most excruciating death ever. He didn't pray, God, just stop it. He said, if it's your will, stop it. If not, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to follow through with what you want me to do. And so, when we think about this, Jesus, we see him here. He's concerned primarily with doing the will of the Father in a great hour of duress. We're not concerned with God's will 90% of the time when we pray. We just throw up, Lord, we're in a crisis. We need you. What does that say about where we stand spiritually? So now we move on to to vows. The preacher says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Verse 5 is key here. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about oaths, which are very similar to vows. A vow refers to an object. A person prohibits something from themselves like food or sex or vows to do something. An oath refers to the person. A person swears an oath to perform an action or swears that something is true. And so... While Jesus speaks of oaths in Matthew 5, and the author of Ecclesiastes speaks specifically of vows, there is a correlation. If you do not uphold either, you are swearing falsely. And ding, ding, that should ring a bell. What's one of the things in the Ten Commandments? Swearing falsely. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I imagine that you see the point here, but if not, it's this. Do not vow. Do not give an oath. Simply answer yes or no and honor your commitment. Otherwise, you're no better than the fool. And Jesus says anything more than this comes from evil. The author of Ecclesiastes says, let not your mouth lead you into sin. The two are one and the same. Essentially, if you vow or swear an oath and do not honor it, you are sinning, you are lying, you are getting stuff that's coming from evil. Whether we realize it or not, this aspect of vows and oaths comes into our prayer life all the time. Have you ever said, God, if you do X, Y, and Z, I will do fill in the blank. 
course you have. I have. Everyone has. And this typically revolves back to that crisis thing we were talking about. We often treat God like he's a genie in a bottle, and he's not. Not by a long shot. Remember Jesus saying in the Gospels that our Father knows what we need even before we ask. He knows before we even pray the prayer. The danger is, is if God holds up his end and grants the request and we don't uphold ours, that's a big problem, right? It's one of the many potential reasons that God's answer is sometimes no. He's doing it for protection for you because you're going to make a vow or an oath to him that, God, if you do this, I'll do this, and he knows you're not going to. Trust me, I, he knows I'm not going to. I asked one time, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm going to go get that Powerball ticket, and if you let me win, I'll give a lot of it to charity. God knew what a lot of it was, and it wasn't all of it. And so God was like, yeah, this is probably not a good idea, so no. And so I didn't win. I haven't played Powerball since because I quickly realized this was a giant waste of money. But that's, that's the whole point, right? That's what we do. We bargain with God instead of obeying God. Have you ever heard the phrase, silence is golden? I know you two have. <clears throat> that's what comes to mind when I read these passages of Scripture. James 1.19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Slow to speak. If we are cautious with our words and wise with our answers, we will not swear oaths or vows. If we are slow to speak and cautious, our prayers will be more intentional. You see, God doesn't forget. Be intentional, but... Don't try to pull a fast one on God. You're not going to do it. It won't work. He's smarter than all of us put together. And this is where the tail end of the final verse comes into play. It says, God is the one you must fear. I'm not talking about an irrational, unhealthy fear. I'm talking about a fear of a holy and perfect God. The God of the universe who spoke everything out of nothing. The God who wore a cross and died for our sins. The God who died and resurrected three days later. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is... Only with that fear that we are able to see God for who he is and then we can pray correctly. We can worship correctly. We can put tradition in its place and worship in spirit and truth. You see, this element of spirit and truth comes from John 4. Almost everybody knows the story of the woman at the well. It says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
You see, loved ones, Jesus was doing a little prophesying here. The hour he spoke of was when he died for us and the veil was torn and we were reconciled to God. This allowed us to be in right relationship with him so we could come to him wherever we were at any given moment. So to summarize, tradition over truth is not worship. Tithing or any sacrifice to God that is done out of obligation or compulsion is not true worship. It's a blood offering and it is a sin. This is often correlated to putting the traditions of tithing over our joyful and free giving. And then when we align our will with God's, we find joy, satisfaction, peace, and indescribable pleasure. And finally, God is the one you must fear. We must fear him because he is holy and perfect and we are sinners who place tradition over true worship and God is he who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And it's a just punishment. Now, how do we put truth over tradition? How do we begin to align our will with God's? How do we find that joy, satisfaction, peace, and pleasure? It begins with knowledge of the, by the fear of God. We find it in his word. How can we truly know what God desires for us if we don't open up his word and, and hear what he has to say? Rick, you made it into my sermon, but it's a good thing. A week or so ago, Rick was talking to us during the prayer time about his daily devotions and how sometimes when he doesn't do them that morning right away, his whole day ends up being shot until he comes in and sits down in God's word. That applies to every one of us. That applies to Sunday morning worship. How many of you prepare for that? How many of you sit at home on Saturday evening reading God's word, relaxing, and preparing your heart to come worship the next morning? We're Baptists. Some of us barely make it on time on Sunday morning. We're not prepared. We can only put away tradition in its variety of forms through Jesus. We have to conform to him. This is marked by obedience, by immersing ourselves in the word, by modeling the one who paid the sacrifice, by perfect obedience to the will of the Father. Hebrews 10 explains this perfectly. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasures in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We worship in spirit and truth by reminding ourselves daily of the gospel of our Lord. That by his blood we were cleansed and we need to put away tradition and sin and the desires of the flesh. Otherwise, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. The application today is to give every fiber of your being to the Lord. 
In a conversation the other night with Rick, he told me a story about his pumpkin farm and how they have the honor system for people purchasing pumpkins. And a gentleman thought he was crazy for doing such a thing. He perhaps thought Rick was maybe a little naive for trusting people like that. But what Rick told him is so true. The pumpkins are not Rick's. They're God's. So if someone steals a pumpkin, Rick said, they're not stealing from me. They're stealing from God. We are God's. We were purchased at a very high cost. Christ paid for every one of us with his life. We ought to give everything to the Lord. That is worship. Now, I'm not saying to be a poor steward of your time, money, and talents by just, oh, we're just going to give it all to God. I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying to remember the cost. When we come to worship God, whether it's in this building or outside of it, that we burst forth with praise and glorification for the one who died for us. Thank you for listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois. If you have questions about today's message, please reach out to us via our website at www.fbcofhamilton.com.